Welcome to the Alien Beer Podcast. I'm Chrissy Garrison, and I will be reading my science fiction stories to you. Personal Space Inspiration is a funny thing. It can come to you anywhere, anytime. The idea for a bone to pick came as I drove into work, and I was forced to call my own phone to leave a voicemail so I'd remember it later. This one came as I was walking in a cemetery, enjoying the view from the highest point and was approached by a sweet girl with none of the usual caution you'd expect her to have around strangers. The main character of this story isn't me, but I have social awkwardness that approaches superpower levels at times, which is why the smile and high-five from a stranger was especially touching. I wish making connections, however brief, was always that easy and heartwarming. Personal Space Sometimes I try to think up names for my super self. Mr. Misanthrope, Captain Outcast. On good days, I imagine I'm Repulsor, using my mutant power for the good of the socially inept. And yeah, I'm nerdy enough to have drawn comics of my imaginary super self. Not that anyone's seen them. No, I won't bring them in for you to see, Doctor. Most people know me as Trog, short for Troglodyte, a hurtful childhood nickname I've self-applied to take its power away. And when I say most people, I mean the friends I've made online. I don't have any other friends, so if anyone calls me Robert, I know it's a stranger. Or a relative trying to get money or free tech support out of me. Because that's all their scary, nerdy relation is good for, right? And no, it's not Rob or Robbie or Bob or any other diminutive. It's Robert. Anything else is just disrespectful. If you have to call me by anything else, just call me Trog. I know, it was used with cruel intent initially, but it's an apt nickname. I do shun the light, often underground, and though it's not a scent that drives everyone away from me, I am shunned all the same. The guys on World of Warcraft don't know about my special power. Since I refuse to go to meetups or other so-called social events, they don't get the full force of my personality, so to speak. What's that you say? You don't notice anything wrong with me? Are you really comfortable in my presence? Bullshit. I can see you crossing your legs and arms. I notice you won't make eye contact with me. You keep eyeing the door. If I wasn't actively suppressing the repulsion, I'm sure you'd be faking an urgent phone call or excusing yourself to go to the bathroom, never to return. Fine. Here's a demonstration of my repulsive power. I'm letting go on the count of three. One, two, three. Wait! Stop! Come back! I paid for my hour and I promised to hold back from here on. But do you believe me now? Sure, okay, whatever, yes, I realize you're a professional. I just needed you to understand, even just a little. So this is why I'm here. I need to talk about it. I've gotten really used to people sitting several seats away from me in movie theaters or asking to be moved to another table in restaurants. On the upside, if I crank up my power, I can get a line to clear out for me in no time. How do I do it? I don't know how to describe it. It's just natural for me, like something in the pit of my stomach is always at a low boil. If I work hard at being calm, like right now, I can turn it down to a fizzy simmer. If I let myself be angry at the world and all the selfish, uncaring people that infest it, my inner cauldron boils over, and people flee from me as if I was on fire. What do I use my power for? If you're asking if I really put on a cape and go out to use my repulsion to fight crime, no. I just do my job, watch anime, and I play computer games. That's it. I don't need much, just my apartment, my computers, and an internet connection. How can I miss love? Can you miss something you've never experienced? No, I don't miss it. 
If ordinary people have such trouble with relationships, can you imagine what it'd be like for me? I'd be holding myself in just to keep it at the uncomfortable setting all day and all night. That'd be like being cheerful all the time, no matter how you felt inside. No one can do that. That's what the expression only human means. Why would you ask that? Yes, of course I've been touched. My parents and grandparents touched me growing up. Back then, my power wasn't as strong, especially not around family. Strangers set me off, even before I realized how cruel people could be. I think I was maybe eight years old when Mom took me to the YMCA to socialize by taking a gymnastics course. Weak little me, last picked for any team, and she thought I'd make friends at the gym. Well, in retrospect, Mom meant well. The other kids tried to be friendly at first. I can see that now. But when they laughed because I couldn't climb that prickly knotted rope, that set me off. It's the first time I can remember my power pushing other kids away from me like a force field. That's what I always imagine, a dome-shaped force field, usually surrounding me at about arm's length, expanding like a balloon as I become angry. That day, the kids backed away and didn't talk to me. No, not like the Incredible Hulk. The Hulk gets bigger and stronger. I just scare people off at the gut level. The Hulk at least gets respect for his abilities, even if he's big, green, and ugly. I get talked about and shunned. But you're right, no one likes either of us when we're angry. Oh, please. Had I known I was paying for trite advice, I could have bought myself a copy of Chicken Soup for the Hopeless Outcast Soul. Yes, of course I get out once in a while. I just prefer not to be around people all that much. Well, okay, I was getting around to it. So maybe even a troglodyte like me needs a change of scenery once in a while. I mean, I visit endless digital vistas online, and my anime keeps me company otherwise. But when the weather's nice, I like to go out and take pictures. Yes, photography. I have few needs, and I make a good salary writing code. Yes, that's the same as computer programming. So I can afford really nice cameras and equipment. Anyway, I was saying, once in a while I like a change of scene. The other day I was nice outside. My guild wasn't doing any raids, and I had an itch to go out into the big room. So I took my camera and tripod in, out to the city cemetery. You know the one. It's the biggest cemetery in the state. So big there are places you can't hear traffic on the streets, and in the middle is the highest point in the city. No, going to a cemetery isn't some kind of goth thing. I go there because it's a big place with very few people, and lots of monuments and trees and wrought iron to take pictures of. And on a clear day, from that highest point, at the tomb of the children's poet, I can get great shots of the city's skyline. Trouble is, that's one of the most popular spots in the cemetery. People drive up there and leave coins on the tomb, they gawk at the view, and sometimes couples go up there to make out. Disgusting. I'd hope to have some time to myself by going during the day, but a couple of young teenagers, maybe 14 or 15 years old, kept strolling around the circle around the tomb, hand in hand. Maybe they were boyfriend and girlfriend, but there was a resemblance in their faces that made me think they were siblings. The boy was kind of gothic, pale skin, and dressed in all black. But he had a kind, round face, free of any disturbing hardware protruding from his lips or eyebrows or nose. She was a little younger, with an open smile and wide eyes and a slightly slack mouth that made me think she was retarded. Sorry, I don't know the polite wording. Differently abled, maybe? I didn't mean it as an insult, just the original meaning, one whose development has been retarded in some way. Special. Except I'm special too, aren't I? Aren't you? Anyway, the special girl was dressed in a hodgepodge of cast-off clothing, an orange scarf, a blue sweater, a tattered blue jean jacket, 
black jeans with holes in the knees. Each time they walked around, she'd stare at me, her mouth stretching out to shine this goofy smile at me, like I was an animal at the zoo she'd never seen before. She waved on the third time round, and her brother noticed and looked up and flashed me a nervous smile, too. I'll admit it. I freaked out. That never happens to me. They were both close enough that they should have been at least uneasy. Strangers don't just smile at me at random like that. I began to worry what they were up to, so I picked up my camera, tripod and all, and hurried down the hill, away from them. I looked back over my shoulder once, but they didn't follow me. They just continued their slow orbit of the poet's tomb. No, I wasn't exactly afraid of them. I, I can't explain the feelings. I guess I was wary. I didn't know what they wanted from me. Yes, I see that our time is just about up. No, it's okay. If I think talking like this will do me good, I'll call you to set up another appointment. An assignment? Please. Well, I suppose I can make a regular thing of my photographic tourism of the cemetery. I'll go back in a few days. No, I will not walk up to strangers in public. I scare people off enough as it is. Very well, if I see someone smile at me, I'll smile back next time. Happy? Hello, doctor. It's me, Trog. Robert. I have to tell you, going back was a great idea. Yes, I know I don't have an appointment, but I thought you'd appreciate a phone call instead of seeing me in person. Do you have a few minutes? Right, sure. You have my billing information. Anyway, I went to the cemetery last night. I didn't want to go up the hill to the poet's tomb at first. I might run into those teenagers again. Yes, even though they seem nice. Sure, if you say so, maybe because they were nice. It wouldn't be the first time I got hurt when nice people ran off when my power pushed them away. No, don't apologize. It's hard to understand, I know. Anyway, I got some spectacular shots of the moon over the Gothic chapel. All those straight lines of pure white grave markers, soldiers' graves, really made the picture. I found myself taking long zoom photos at the Poets Hill, telling myself I wasn't looking for those two kids. A couple of guys in a big pickup truck drove right up about then. I swear the driver had to be drunk. As he asked me where he could find Dillinger's grave, he slurred his speech. That's another popular place. People put money on his tombstone and have their picture taken there. I guess he's some famous bank robber. There was a movie out a few years ago. I didn't see it. I know where the grave is, though, since I've been around that cemetery and have had a decent mental map of the points of interest. I thought about turning on my repulsor just to get rid of the guy, but I decided it'd just be simpler to give him directions. The driver thanked me and laughed. Just as I opened my mouth to say goodbye, a figure popped up from the bed of the truck, screamed bloody murder, and sprayed me with beer from a shaking can. In the truck's cab, the idiots whooped and high-fived each other. I boiled over, and I could just about see the air shimmer as my control slipped and my power slammed into them. Their faces went slack, their eyes flew open, and the pickup's tires flung gravel and dirt as the driver floored the truck to get away from me. The steel door of the idiot's truck screamed in agony as it scraped along a headstone on the side of the path. I heard an earthy thud as the headstone broke and hit the ground. The truck continued down the winding pavement away from me. How sad. I don't know whose monument they ruined. I thought about looking, but I didn't want to get myself even more involved. The clouds in the sky caught fire as the sky itself dimmed. I couldn't see the sun, but the white marble pillars of the poet's tomb glowed bright neon orange up on the hill, a fiery beacon I could no longer avoid. I had to go up there and get some sunset pictures. 
I wound my way around and up the hill to set my camera on its tripod. The bare branches of the trees joined the clouds and the pillars in an incandescent blaze. I took some dazzling photos, using a few different light filters and exposures. I lost myself in the art. I didn't notice anyone approach. I felt a touch on my arm, feather light. I jumped and whirled. The special needs teenage girl stood just two feet away from me, staring, smiling. Oh, that smile. It was the most innocent and angelic expression anyone's ever given me. Had I ever been as happy as this girl? I ached at the thought for an instant wishing to trade lives with her. I thought at first that she might be interested in what I was doing or in the camera itself, but she kept on staring at me. My old instincts told me to avoid eye contact or to run from her. Anxiety grew within me and wave after wave of repulsion radiated from me. And yet this stranger stood within my personal space and smiled at me, somehow immune. What could she want? I had to know. I noticed her brother still standing below us on the circular drive, no concern showing on his face as he gazed up at us. He caught me looking and shrugged. I took a breath and, and looked back at the girl, the special girl who stood so close to me. High five, she asked, smile becoming an impish grin. My gut feared a trick, but she held her ground, untouched by my power, even as I lost control of it in my near panic. She raised a hand. A knit mitten dangled from a strand of thick yarn that disappeared down her coat's sleeve. Her palm faced flat outward toward me, fingers not touching each other. Before now, the only time anyone had asked me to slap hands in midair like this, it was a trick. They'd pull their hand away at the last second to make me look foolish. Except, except that special angelic face could never mask a lie. That smile could never disguise a sneer. I took a breath and touched my palm against hers. And yes, I smiled back at her. She'd reached through the bubble of repulsion surrounding me and had given me an innocent moment of human contact. She giggled and clapped her hands together and hopped up and down in excitement, and then the moment was over. Her brother called up to her, Come on, Jeannie, and she skipped off down the steps to rejoin him. Ordinarily, I'd feel dismissed, but I stood there feeling lighter than air. She liked me on sight well enough that she had come up to, to greet me. Now it was my turn to stare, watching them hold hands, she skipping and prancing, he walking steadily as they descended the hill together. It was sweet. They became blurry, as did everything around me, a big red-purple blur that all ran together like watercolors in the rain. I sat down on the poet's tomb and wept happy tears. I let go of my anger and fear and cried like a child. I felt the low boil inside me subside, replaced by a cool, placid calm. I sat there for several minutes as the light dimmed and the palette painting the clouds and trees shifted toward deeper purples and blues. I stood up when I heard the roar of an engine and shouting below. Then I heard the sound of a girl crying. I forgot about my camera. I bounded straight down the steep side of the hill, past rich mausoleums, shiny obelisks, and stone arches, stumbling all the way. At the base of the hill, I saw the big black pickup truck blocking the road. Headlights pinned my two new friends. And doctor, let me tell you, I don't use the word friend lightly. Jeannie blocked the high beams of the truck with one hand, and I saw her shoulders shake as she bawled. Her brother lay sprawled on his back nearby. One of the drunk guys stood over him, laughing. Another big guy leaned against the truck, a tire iron in his hand. The truck's horn blared, making both of the kids flinch. 
The brother struggled to stand, but the first guy shoved him back down again. The man roared with sloppy laughter. I saw red, and not from the fading sunset. I barked my shin on a low tombstone as I reached the bottom of the hill. I bit my lip to keep from crying out and limped toward the guys. As I approached, Jeannie put down her hand and cried out towards me. No! The two guys turned their attention toward me. I shouted, hey, and gasped for breath, winded from my hasty downward climb. By now, unrestrained animal panic should have overwhelmed these guys as my power swept over the area. Except it didn't. For the first time in my adult life, I didn't feel the boiling in my gut in response to emotions unleashed within me. What? Oh yes, I did feel the emotions. I was beyond angry, beyond reason, furious. But why didn't they run away from me? What happened to my power when I needed it most? I glanced back at Jeannie, and the shiny tear tracks on her face ripped at my heart. Her lower lip quivered, and she mimed, pushing me away. Go back. Bad man. You'll get hurt. Yeah, like I'd just walk away. Look, you guys, I found myself saying to Shover and Tire Iron. You'd better go. Leave these kids alone. Shover got in my face, and I smelled some kind of flammable alcohol in his breath. Yeah? Who's going to make us? A skinny geek like you? Once more, I reached deep within me to bring out the repulsion field to make these guys want to be somewhere, anywhere else. Nothing happened. I looked the guy in the eye. Look, I'm warning you, I'm a lot more dangerous than I seem. He laughed again and tire iron advanced on me. I took that moment to turn around and yell at Jeannie and her now upright brother. Run! Get out of here! Call the cops! Jeannie reached a hand toward me, but her brother hooked an arm around her and dragged her headlong down into the darkening fields of graves, disappearing into shadow almost instantly. I turned around to face the rednecks and saw stars. They tasted like electricity and copper. I must have blacked out for just a couple of seconds as the back of my head bounced off the pavement. My eyes opened and I saw the two guys standing over me. Tire Iron said, Now we're going to fuck you up good, asswipe. The engine of the truck roared and they whooped and howled along with it. Just then I heard a shriek and a deeper yell further off. Feet pounded and a warm skinny body flung across my prone form. Jeannie had come back and she was protecting me with her life. No, Jeannie, I shouted, pushing at her to get away. Save yourself. She crouched next to me and grabbed one of my hands, fingers interlaced with mine. Her eyes locked onto mine, and instead of gentle sweetness, I saw them blaze in the last glow of the sunset. I saw a tire iron raise his weapon. I tried to push Jeannie aside, but her grip was much stronger than I would have guessed. She grabbed my other hand and said, Now, do it. Push. I thought for a moment she meant I should push her off, but my gut began to boil again. Only this time, the boiling wasn't angry and cold. No, it was much, much stronger. Chills and warmth spread throughout me, from my heart to the tips of my fingers and toes. It was love, pure and more powerful than a mother bear protecting her young. It radiated from this innocent girl, amplified by my power. Waves of warm, irresistible power radiated from me. From us, the waves formed a dome, and the tire iron glanced off it like a tangible field, a shelter from hate and evil. The metal bar clanged off the pavement, and tire iron backed away, and he sucked at his fingers as though burned. The dome brightened and grew, and soon I could no longer see outside, but I could feel it as it bumped up against the truck. Metal groaned as the dome pushed several tons of pickup truck away from us. 
Then I heard tires squeal as they drove off and felt the pressure release. Soon the dome grew to cover Jeannie's brother, and he came running up. He wrapped his arms around her. She sobbed and let go of my hands so she could cling to him and cry into his shoulder. He petted her hair and rocked her gently, sitting there in the roadway next to me. After Jeannie let go of me, the dome lost power and dissolved into darkness of the night. I have to tell you, doctor, I've never felt more alive than I did right then. Bruised, aching, and dizzy, still tingling from the raw, sun-like power I'd been wielding, my whole being rang with elated triumph. I'd felt love that night, and I felt loved. I think my so-called power is gone now. I haven't had people shying away from me. Now I have to get used to people jostling me in crowds and sitting next to me when I go out to eat. People talk to me, too. Total strangers. I think a girl at the bookstore flirted with me. Too bad I didn't realize what she was doing until hours later when I thought about it. Am I cured? Well, yes and no. Without my power, which I see now was a curse, I have a whole new world to explore. A world full of people who are willing to give me the chance. The kids have adopted me as sort of a big brother, so I have a new family now. But I've got a lot of adjusting to do. I'm a stranger in this new world, and I'll need a guide. So, Doctor, do you have any appointments open next week? Thank you for listening to the Alien Beer Podcast. If you like my stories, please visit my website, sillyhatbooks.com. I publish as E. Chris Garrison, and my books may be found in paperback, ebook, and audiobook format on Amazon.com and other places.